0: Getting enough sleep doesn't mean that you're giving up your goals or mm-hmm. your your desire to achieve and succeed. On the contrary, it makes you more effective. It's a performance enhancer.
1: That's Ariana Huffington, and this is The Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Greetings citizens of planet earth. My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast, the show where each week I sit down with the world's brightest thought leaders, paradigm breaking minds across all categories of health, wellness, diet, nutrition, fitness, athletic performance, spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, creativity, artistry, entrepreneurship. You get the picture. Why do I do this? I do it to help all of us, myself included, unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate everybody who has shared the show with your friends and your colleagues. And big love, mad props to everybody who has made a habit of always using the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com for all your Amazon purchases. You can find that banner ad on any episode page on my website, or you can just type into your browser, richworld.com forward slash Amazon, takes you to Amazon, Amazon will not charge you one cent extra on any of your purchases, but they send us some loose commission change that allows us to continue to do what we do and uh, build on that. So thank you so much to everybody who has made a habit, a practice of doing that. Really exciting show for you guys today. The great Arianna Huffington is with us, Uh, most famously known, uh, obviously you may know already, as the co-founder and editor in chief of The Huffington Post. Uh, She is quite an extraordinary individual, very accomplished, uh, and very, very interesting. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I got a whole bunch more I want to say about her in a second. But first, let's acknowledge the awesome organizations that make this show possible. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection. Truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com/richroll and use code RICHROLL10 at checkout. All right, Ariana Huffington. Uh, there are so many incredibly fascinating aspects of this woman's life. I mean, she has really lived. She is clearly a very powerful manifester. And you know, some of the fascinating uh, things about her, her life and her evolution. I mean, she used to be this conservative political commentator, and then she later jumped the fence and, and became a liberal. Uh, in 2003, she ran for governor of California as an independent. In 2009, she was listed as number 12 in Forbes list of most influential women in media. She's authored 15 books. Her latest book is called The Sleeper Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time. And that's really the focus of today's conversation. Uh, You know, I would have loved the time and the bandwidth to delve into her upbringing, her history, her authorship, her political evolution, her evolving spiritual perspective. I mean, she's, you know, done some really interesting things in 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 that realm. She explored the Rajneesh movement. She once dated the founder of EST Werner Erhard. Uh, unfortunately, I only had a very uh, tight hour with her just before she took the stage at the LA Book Fair. And so, uh, by virtue of that, this conversation is really predominantly focused on sleep, which is subject obviously of her new book Uh, but it makes for a really nice compliment to my recent conversation with sean stevenson that was rrp219 if you missed it i strongly suggest you check that out that was a really popular episode all right let's talk to ariana
0: where do you live most of the time
1: in malibu canyon
0: oh fabulous like near so you didn't have to go far
1: no 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 i'm local
0: but I love do you yours. still
1: have a, a home in Los Angeles or yes, you live in New York? Yes, I still
0: do. I'm mean, mostly in New York, but I, I love it here. Uh-huh. It's like my, my, it's nice, my right? kind of uh, recharging time. Yeah,
1: recharging. Well, I don't know. You're on quite a hectic schedule these but days. But still, you
0: know, i find. Don't you find? I love what you said here. I made some notes, you see, from you. <laughs> I like what you said that although you rarely get a full eight hours, when you do, everything is better.
1: Uh, of course, more
0: present, alert, and protective. Well, talk, I want to talk about. Yeah,
1: that. well, we can just go right into it whenever uh, you're ready. Yeah,
0: at any time you want.
1: All right, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Let's start. First of all, you were at. Uh, were you at Oprah's? Uh, oh, we have coffee coming in over there. Oh, that's Bruce Wagner. Wow.
2: <laughs> Thank you
1: very much. Was that was that Bruce Wagner? I'm fanboy fanboying out on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
0: don't know. We can go find out yeah. for you.
1: <clears throat> all right. Cool. Thanks, you guys. So you were at uh, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday brunch this morning? Yes
0: which uh, is supposed to be off the record yet until oh. they announce in May, they're going to announce the Super Soul 100.
1: Oh, okay. Well, it was all over Twitter. I had some friends that were there this Oh, it was? Well. I yeah.
0: love a Twitter, <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Nothing can be off the record no, anymore, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Those days, I think, are long Those over. Those days,
0: exactly. You should, one shouldn't even try.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know this is a crazy schedule for you Oh, today, I'm so delighted. I love
0: your podcast. I
1: appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, congrats on the new book. This Thank is very you. exciting. Um, as you know, I recently interviewed Sean Stevenson, who wrote the Sleep Smarter book, and so sleep, the sleep revolution, is in the air. Is it not?
0: It really is. You know, there are these zeitgeist moments, mm-hmm. and uh, sleep has its uh, seems to be having its moment in the sun. We're kind of in the middle of this transition period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have. Um, a golden age of new sleep science, which is really exploding and making it uh, absolutely clear that sleep is not negotiable.
1: Right. I've always been uh, a proponent of getting maximum sleep. I mean, I'm an athlete. I'm very well versed in you know the impact of having a good night's sleep on performance. Uh, and I feel like culturally, we're at this moment, like if you reflect on what's going on in wellness right now there's never been more interest in wellness, like an explosion of, you know, there's definitely a zeitgeist moment happening around all things wellness. And yet at the same time, we've never been more unhealthy as a culture, right? Obesity rates are through the roof, heart disease, diabetes, et cetera. Uh, and I think it's analogous to what's going on with sleep right now. We have a lot of fascination and interest in all the new sleep science that's coming out. Uh, people are more and more convinced of, of the benefits of Prioritizing sleep in our busy, you know, technological, you know, sort of infused lives, and yet at the same time, we're more sleep deprived than ever.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly the paradox that I wanted to study in the book. That you have like this perfect storm of the new science, the new awareness, the new wearables that can track our sleep, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you have This invasion of technology into every aspect of our lives, including our beds, uh, that makes it so much harder to disconnect from our devices and from our world and to be able to surrender to sleep.
1: Right, right. So let's take it back to kind of... The genesis of, of sort of this problem that we're having around sleep, uh, you know, as you so eloquently discuss in your book, it really began around the Industrial Revolution. And there's this famous quote by Thomas Edison, <laughs> and you know, here we are rushing into the modern era, and now we're in the midst of another, um, you know, new era with the explosion of technology, and that's I think bringing it to the forefront once again.
0: Absolutely. So we basically. N- need to go back to the first industrial revolution to understand when we started devaluing sleep because after all in uh, ancient times you know ancient rome ancient egypt ancient greece sleep was revered there were special sleep temples where you would go to incubate dreams to give you guidance for your life for your leadership for your healing and then fast forward to the first industrial revolution, when we start treating human beings like machines, mm-hmm. and we really begin to think that the goal of life is to minimize downtime,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's not. Um, this is all. This is such a false um, delusion. It's equivalent, really, to thinking the earth is flat or climate change doesn't exist. Um, it's one of those foundational. Flaws in what we believe that has affected how we live and how we work, mm-hmm. that has led to wearing sleep deprivation like a badge of honor, especially among you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, men brag literally how much how little sleep they need. I had mm. dinner with a guy recently who said, I only got four hours sleep the night before. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it, but I thought, you know what? If you had gotten five, this dinner would have been more interesting.
1: Right, right.
0: So that um, reluctance to recognize that we all need, according to all scientists, unless you are what they call a short sleeper, There's about 1% of us who are. So
1: there are certain people that do exist that really can function There are about
0: 1% of people who can function on four or five hours without any adverse consequences. It's a genetic mutation. Mm -hmm. You either have it or you don't Mm -hmm. you can't train yourself
1: Well, there's probably a lot of guys walking around convincing themselves that they have it when they in fact When they don't
0: you can test yourself any friend of mine who says oh, you know I don't need a lot of sleep. I said great go test yourself Mm -hmm. Because what happens is that we don't even notice anymore. I know it happened to me. So everything. I'm saying I've been through um, I, I, the day that I collapsed from sleep deprivation and exhaustion nine years ago and broke my cheekbone on the way down, if you had asked me that morning, how mm-hmm. are you, Ariana, I would have said fine, mm-hmm. because I really had forgotten what it is like to be fine. I had forgotten what it is like to be fully recharged.
1: Well, let's camp out here for a minute. I think it provides some you know, great context for why you wrote this book, which is you know, this history, this life of, you know, being an entrepreneur, being an author, you've written 14 books, I mean, you've built empires and, you know, what you've created with Huffington Post and your gubernatorial campaign, all these things that you've done, I mean, there are, there are few people on planet Earth that, that are as accomplished or as busy as you are, right? And, and so I would presume that there was a lifetime or many decades of, you know, adopting that workaholic lifestyle until you kind of have this, crisis, right, which you write about in Thrive. And, and I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is really kind of a foundational moment, a turning point in your life that really tips the scales to you reprioritizing how you, how you live, what's important to you, and uh, how you conduct yourself on a daily basis.
0: Absolutely. Um, it, was a, it was a rough wake-up call.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was uh, going on
1: at that time?
0: So I was two years into building the Huffington Post, and I was living under the delusion that so many entrepreneurs live under that nothing can happen without me. Mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) And also, I was a single mom with two teenage daughters, one of whom was going through anorexia. She's fine now. And Mm -hmm. the other... um, was looking for a college to apply to. So we were going on a college tour. We had made the agreement that I would be fully present during the day with her, not be on my BlackBerry, that was nine years ago. <laughs> and um and so I would we would go check into a hotel every night. She would go to sleep and I would start working. Mm-hmm. So I got back to to LA, to our home here, and um I had booked myself for a morning television show because I think what happens when you are exhausted You really make stupid decisions and when you are not even in a position to be making decisions Mm -hmm. Like that was completely unnecessary, you know, you keep adding things to your schedule
1: Right, but you don't want to say no to something like that, right? Well,
0: but because you really have given up prioritizing yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now with everything we know scientifically, you see what I love about this modern age is that everything can be backed by science and we have tons of data. So it's not like my opinion or your opinion. Um, every aspect of my life had been degraded by then.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Clearly my health, but also my decision making, not to mention my ability to enjoy my life and, and to be happy. Um, which also is rather important, uh, and now increasingly important for me. You know, I no longer judge my life by how much stuff I get done, mm-hmm. but also by the quality of myself that I bring to what I'm doing.
1: Right, and this is what you call the third metric. Yes, right? the third metric success. So explain so of success. what that
0: is. So you know, the, we, we tend to look at success in terms of two metrics, money and power. But this is like the two legs of a stool Mm -hmm. And without the third leg which consists of well-being starting with sleep Uh, Wisdom which again is degraded if we are not rested and recharged Mm -hmm. Wonder which is incredibly degraded because the last thing that happens uh, When you're exhausted is be able to wonder at life and to experience it fully and then giving and when you're running on empty You're less likely to be able to give to anyone
1: I feel like that should be the first metric, not Absolutely. the yeah. uh, But,
0: you know, at least if we can include it as the third, right. it would be a good starting point in our culture.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, in sort of preparing for today and, and, you know, reading up on you online, I feel like somebody could form the impression that, you know, in the wake of this experience, this was kind of the birth of your interest in, you know, things not only wellness-oriented, but spiritually oriented as well, but I don't think that's entirely accurate, because I feel like your, your quest for um, personal growth and, and your interest in things spiritual really roots back, all the way back, you know, many, many decades. Oh yes,
0: it goes back to my teenage years. Yes. You know, I learned to meditate in Athens, Greece, when I was 13. I went to India when I was 17 and studied comparative religion. Mm-hmm. Um, No, this has been um, a longing and a quest all my life. But our culture is so shaped to kind of reward getting stuff done um, that it became much harder for me to navigate all these different interests and reconcile these two things. And now I see how important it is to reconcile them. Because Uh if you think of it, life for me now is these two threads you know there is a thread that takes us out to the world to achieve to get things done to contribute and then there is the other thread that takes us back to ourselves to refuel to recharge and when these two get out of balance uh, that's when problems start in every area Mm -hmm. of our lives and if you think of it every culture sees life in that way, whether it's uh, the Chinese wisdom of the yin yang, which is exactly that, you know, um, the inward and the outward um, thrust, um, or Zen philosophy, or um, ancient Greek philosophy. So it's all very grounded in in fundamental
1: truths. Mm But I feel like there's this gap that exists between the intellectual understanding of the importance of these things, whether it's sleep or or other aspects of wellness. We can read books, we know this, we know firsthand how we feel and how our day goes when we sleep well, and yet we struggle so fundamentally with putting that into practice on a daily basis or simply prioritizing these things because of the way the gestalt of our, you know, busy professional lives.
0: Absolutely. In fact, you said something which uh, I've marked here. Which I like how
1: research I like how you have notes on my
0: podcast. Oh yeah, no, I'm <laughs> This I'm, is a
1: first Ariana. I'm very I'm a honored research by that. freak.
0: And, <laughs> you know, I research everything. But you said that that when you get your full eight hours, obviously you've you've established that you need eight hours mm-hmm. to be operating on all cylinders. Absolutely. Um so this I, I need eight hours too. So you said that when you do get them, everything is better. I'm more present, alert, and productive. So here's really what is amazing: once you've established that, shouldn't that be prioritized? Mm-hmm. Because it's not. You have the evidence. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's not even that uh, you are more productive because you have more hours available to work. We are more productive when we are operating. Um, from the highest level of ourselves. And I think athletes uh, really are pioneers in this, as you've discovered being an athlete yourself. I mean, uh, that's why in the book I quote Kobe Bryant, I quote Andre Inguidola uh, from the Golden State Warriors, Mm -hmm. because Andre has actually tracked the dramatic improvement to his game when he started getting eight hours sleep.
1: Yeah, there's, it's unquestionable. I mean, the holy grail in athletic performance is recovery. If you can expedite your recovery in between your training sessions, then that is gonna have a profound impact on your performance in both the short term and the long term. And the most powerful way to expedite that recovery process is to get a great deep night of sleep, Yes, unquestionably. So I feel like athletes fundamentally understand that. Um, and I also feel like the technology sector is really, um, you know, embracing this as kind of an early adopter. Like you know, these startup companies are charged with imagining the future of our culture, right? So I feel like they're going to be more uh, attuned to getting on board with this kind of thing, and that's what we're seeing, right?
0: Absolutely, we're seeing it everywhere. Um, and in fact, we launched um, on Friday a, a college tour uh, to about 100 colleges, and we've partnered with a lot of these companies to create sleep fairs in colleges to help um, students reprioritize sleep. Because now in most colleges, you have... Um, this is where, as, this, this is, where is where it begins. This is where it begins. Yeah, right. You have this saying that is, sleep, grade, social life, peak two. Mm-hmm. And sleep is the one thing that they think they have to give up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now, with the, men, the mental health crisis in in, um, in colleges getting worse and worse, with an explosion in the amount of anxiety and depression and binge drinking and drugs, sleep deprivation is foundational.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something really interesting in your book when you talked about the nexus between uh, depression and sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. The statistics were... were Pretty incredible uh, in terms of how these two things are linked, and how uh, sort of changing habits around sleep and and really prioritizing quality around sleep can actually have a profound impact on people that are that are affected by depression.
0: Absolutely, and yet we are more likely in our culture to go for a pill right. rather than make some fundamental changes in our behavior and in, in what we prioritize and
1: that i think of everything in your book uh, that was the most shocking the statistics around um, big pharma when it comes to sleeping pills and benzodiazepine yeah i think it's you said it was like 41% of people are on some form of sleep aid? Right. That's really crazy. And then the link between um, persistent use of of sleep aids and Alzheimer's, right, range from like 32% all the way up to like 84%. Exactly. That's really If you do it over
0: six months. Right. And and I think one of the problems here is that the United States and New Zealand are the only countries allowed to advertise on television, sleeping pills. Hmm. And so you have these beautiful ads with happy people uh, gavorting through fields. <laughs> and then you have uh, a quick recitation of 92 dreadful side effects that include possible suicide or getting behind a car and driving without being conscious and maybe killing somebody, which has happened. and. It's really tragic. And beyond
1: that, they're not even really helping enhance your sleep.
0: No. And they're they're
1: certainly not getting at the core of what's causing you to have a sleep disorder to begin with. It's sort of like taking Viagra for an erection. You're not getting at the cause of why you have erectile dysfunction.
0: Right. But I think it's even worse because the truth is that there are alternatives. And incidentally, there's a very direct connection between erectile dysfunction and sleep deprivation. Oh, there is interesting. So a faster way to actually... Uh, deal with that problem would be to get enough sleep uh-huh. um, but when it comes to The general question of alternatives to be able to get sleep I try to cover them all in the second part of the book because there's so many natural alternatives mm-hmm. starting with a very simple transition to sleep which is lacking in most of our lives uh, I offer a lot of um, ingredients so that everybody can create their own transition. Mine is um, very simple. Thirty minutes before I go to sleep, I turn off all my devices and gently escort them out of my bedroom. For mm-hmm. me, that is key. Gently. Gently, yes. <laughs> and I want them to be there in uh-huh, the morning, but okay. I don't want them on my nightstand. Yes, this
1: is so hard for so many people. I
0: know, but it's like. But what happens is that. I, even if you start 5 minutes before you're going to sleep i believe like you said in microscopic steps mm-hmm. you know don't try to write the great american novel in a day you know just take manageable steps i hope it's easy relatively speaking to turn off your devices 5 minutes before you turn off the light and charge them not on your nightstand
1: right right right
0: uh, and little by little the way you feel the next day becomes a magnet that draws you to this behavior. So it starts as a discipline and then it becomes a magnet.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting how uh, There's been some shifts in technology with programs like F flux and now with the new iOS update They allow you to take the night, the, yeah, the night shift, which is great but I think at the same time that almost encourages people to keep their devices in in the bedroom because, oh, well, I have blocked the blue light out of this, so now it's not a problem, where in truth, it's still, you know, a jarring thing to have with you that's impacting, you know, those circadian rhythms and making it more difficult for you to get a restful night. And
0: also, it's particularly jarring because if you wake up in the middle of the night and your phone is within reach and you can't fall asleep right away, Mm -hmm. chances are you're going to be tempted to go to your phone. To check texts or emails or look at social media, and that's the end of a restorative night's sleep.
1: Did you look into the science behind just the Wi-Fi signals? Like a lot of people are saying, to actually completely turn off all Wi-Fi anywhere near the bedroom because that has some kind of impact on brain waves or something like that. I, I think there's some science yeah. I on mean, that.
0: the you know the science is not conclusive on this, but. But if you want to be on the safe side, why not do it? Why not try to create an environment which is as sacred as possible for going to sleep? I mean, my um, my bedroom is a device-free zone, mm-hmm. no screens. And in fact, um, as we are trying to raise awareness about a good night's sleep, um, Uh, We are doing a contest together with Airbnb.
1: (laughs) I saw this so explain Uh, what this is
0: so um, Basically first of all Airbnb curated some of the best places you can sleep uh, all around the world Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and um, and I offered my my apartment in New York and to the person who wins a contest uh, which includes just answering in less than 550 words, the question, how would your life be different if you had gotten a full night's sleep the night before?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so the person who wins it, and they can bring somebody with them, um, will get a personal sleep consultation with me, will get a Greek meal that is uh, intended um, to elicit a good night's sleep, no spicy foods, etc. <laughs> And then um, I will leave them. Uh, I have all the recommendations of them having a bath and getting ready for sleep. And then in the morning, there'll be hair and makeup to put them on our half-post morning uh-huh. show to talk about their experience. <laughs> Where are
1: you going to sleep, though?
0: So I probably will have to sleep at a different Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right. Uh, I love it. That's great. And And I think that's what's so cool about that is that this book isn't just a book, you're really about this creating a movement with uh, the sleep fairs and the college tour. It's really about catalyzing social change, right? And this yes. contest is just a fun example of that, but I mean, you're doing like 50 colleges, right? Well,
0: Yes, we were going to do 50 and then I wrote a piece about it and there was such demand from other colleges, we're now up to 100. Wow. And brands... I mean, you're not even
1: going to be in your bedroom in New York anyway. Oh,
0: I'm not going to go to all of them, but we have. Uh, I went to the University of Denver uh, on Friday and to Dominican University on Saturday. I'm doing Stanford tomorrow and then mm-hmm. USC and UCLA. Uh, but we have a team um, of people who are working on to put up the fairs, to bring in different brands with, to your point, a lot of wearables, um, a lot of simple things also, white noise machines, um, a lot of... Um, Products like eye masks and PJs and pillows Mm -hmm. so that we can also rekindle our romance with sleep
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that this is a very personal question But you know I started using an eye mask and sometimes I use white noise in in earphones at night Uh, And now I feel like I'm almost addicted to those like if I travel and I realize oh my gosh, I left my eye mask at home I have trouble going to sleep like I'm dependent upon it, which I don't like that feeling
0: but there's something kind of natural about it because the the darker the Outside environment the easier it is to go to sleep. So I actually stuff an eye mask in my handbag and Mm -hmm. everywhere because sometimes um, you may be on the subway or on a short flight even, when normally you wouldn't uh, prepare right. for a, a real uh, night's sleep. Right, right, right. But you can catch like 20 minutes. And, and now there's such powerful evidence of about napping.
1: Right. And napping, you know, along with just priding yourself on getting a good night's sleep, these things are you know, anathema, and it's almost like uh, you, sh- you couldn't say that publicly or how dare you nap. They're so associated with laziness and kind of outdated Weakness. cultural, yeah, exactly. So you know, how do we you begin s- to overcome this?
0: Well, that's the, the key thing that you said about how do we catalyze cultural change? So we change norms and expectations. And I think it starts with um, new role models. I think athletes are a new role model. Uh, Business leaders who are willing um, to speak about how much more effective they are when they get eight hours sleep, like Jeff Bezos, like uh, Satya Natella, the new CEO of Microsoft. Um, So people can say, yes, getting enough sleep doesn't mean that you're giving up your goals or mm-hmm. your, your desire to achieve and succeed. On the contrary, it makes you more effective. It's a performance enhancer. But at the same time, I just want us not to lose sight of the mystery of sleep.
1: There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media.
0: You know, the performance aspect is kind of the easy entry point.
1: Well, that's what gets guys interested. When you start calling it a performance enhancer, suddenly, you know, the ears of the men perk up.
0: Right, and and before I go to the mystery, actually, there was a real tipping point uh, last week. When uh, McKinsey uh, published a study in the Harvard Business Review with a a title that you would have thought had come from the onion, Mm -hmm. it was the proven link between effective leadership and sleep. Uh It's kind of an amazing moment that they walked us through the science of what happens to the prefrontal cortex where the executive functions of leadership are housed when uh, the brain is sleep deprived and how degraded it becomes so that all the functions of leadership which they enumerated from decision making to team building are significantly degraded.
1: Mm -hmm. And yet we have a culture that um, celebrates that kind of FOMO, fear of missing out, workaholism kind of, you know... Uh, ethos that we see, you know, you've been very outspoken about uh, everybody who's running for president and how they pride themselves on not sleeping. And then we of course, we have, you know, an entire medical institution where we're training doctors through their residencies of, you know, working, I don't know how long their shifts are, but they're ridiculously long. We have doctors that are walking around like zombies who are taking care of very right. sick people. I mean, to me, that's absolute insanity.
0: It is. And and again, we can measure the adverse medical effects, as they call them, accidents, even deaths, because nurses and and doctors are uh, doing their jobs while sleep deprived.
1: Yeah. Which is crazy. I
0: mean, you know, if somebody came to operate on you and they said, you know, I was at this bachelor party last night and got a little drunk, you would say, stop. Right. You know, let's get another surgeon. Let's postpone this. But nobody thinks of how much sleep did you get?
1: Yeah, they're at that tail end of a 48-hour shift or something like that, and then they're charged with cracking open your sternum. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's pretty crazy, right? But yet at the same time, if a candidate was to, you know, approach the podium, uh, you know, before some kind of rally and say, uh, you know, I'm I'm taking naps and I'm sleeping eight hours. I'm just not going to, you know, burn the midnight oil anymore. That that person, I feel would almost be laughed off the stage or become unelectable.
0: Well, I think this is the transition we are in. I feel that we are at a moment similar to moving from the Middle Ages to the Renaissance.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I think in all transition points in history, every kind of behavior is coexisting. So you have the pioneers of the new and uh, and you have Neanderthal behavior still celebrated. So it mm-hmm. depends on where you look. I mean, are you looking at what is dying or what is being born? But I have no doubt um, that the kind of behavior um, that celebrates sleep deprivation and um, burnout as kind of badges of honor is dying, is on the way out. Mm-hmm. And last year we had such a, Um, an amazing number of casualties, of executives collapsing on their treadmills and either dying or um, suffering from massive heart attacks like uh, the CEO of United. And that is beginning to change our awareness of the cost of burnout.
1: Right. Well, this book is incredibly impeccably well researched. You have like 60 pages of mm-hmm. annotations or something like that, right? So, what is, you know, the state of the art science of sleep saying right now? Like what is at the cutting edge and what are we discovering and finding out?
0: Well, first of all, I think it's important to remind everyone how young the science of sleep is. Like the first scientific sleep center in the United States was at Stanford in 1970.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do great work at Stanford. They do
0: amazing work, yes. And now we have over 2,500 scientific sleep centers in the United States alone. And one of the most fascinating new findings for me um, is about what happens in the brain. We used to think that um, sleep was a time of brain inactivity, as um, Dr. Demand from Stanford put it, uh, the metaphor was you put the car in the garage and you turn the ignition off. And now it 's clear that sleep is a time of frenetic activity in the brain, and uh, the brain has been found has two functions, either awake and alert, or asleep and cleaning up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So all the accumulated toxins of uh, in the brain between the brain cells in the course of the day need to be washed away. And they can only be washed away when we sleep. They cannot be washed away when we are awake. As one of the scientists put it, it's it's as though you can either entertain the guests or clean the house up and then there was another amazing metaphor I had I did a panel in Munich with Dr. Ronneberg who is the leading German sleep scientist Mm. and he said if you wake up before you've gotten enough sleep he said it's the equivalent of stopping the laundry cycle Before it has completed (laughs) the process of cleaning up the laundry and Uh that's such a horrific image You basically take the laundry out of the machine half half cleaned,
1: right? Which which is (laughs) I think it's a that's a cool analogy because you sort of think of it Well, I got one hour less than I'd like to but you know pretty good But you wouldn't you wouldn't wear clothes that were only halfway washed right it doesn 't work at all it doesn't either it 's either at all. done or it 's not done at all right
0: exactly that 's why um, what you said you know about how much sleep you, you need to to operate at your optimal is the equivalent of how many cycles does the laundry machine have to go to, mm-hmm. to really clean the clothes mm-hmm. and uh, and I was even talking to the head of them of NIH and um, who is very familiar with all the latest research, and he said, well, I don't always get it. And I said, well, you have to always get it because you, <laughs> you know all the science. <laughs> right. So it's what you said at the beginning, you know, even when we intellectually know something, because we're, we're swimming in a culture which is still operating under the old assumptions, it's much harder for us to actually put this new knowledge into practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's why it's important to A, start with micro steps and B, have a kind of support system, a kind of little tribe. Uh, That's why some of the new wearables are great because they gamify Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, getting more sleep and uh, tracking our sleep and how deep it is. And ultimately, the goal is to wake up without an alarm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Waking up with an alarm is actually barbaric because... Just think of the word alarm. <laughs>
1: right.
0: Like you wake up in a fight or flight mode before anything has even happened.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very violent.
0: It's very violent. And it's like, and then I think one of the other barbaric habits is the snooze button.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for me, it's like, I, I. No, that's
1: like Chinese water torture. It's like Chinese yeah. water
0: torture. You never really recharge in the 10 minutes or whatever that you have yourself you know, um, be walking up again and then uh, push the snooze button. In fact, I, I think I get irritated when hotel. I call a hotel for an alarm clock, an alarm call, because even though 90 percent of the time I wake up naturally, if I have a, a plane to catch or an early meeting or something, I'll put an alarm call in as protection. Mm-hmm. And you say to them, wake me up at such and such an hour, and they say, do you want a follow-up call? And I said, no, I don't. I don't want a follow-up call. I'm asking you to wake me up at the last possible moment right. for me to make my appointment. I'm not asking you to wake me up half an hour before the last possible right. moment. I don't understand why I would do that.
1: What's amazing is, is uh, and this is clearly you know, documented in your book, is that it seems like there's no aspect of your physical, mental, emotional well-being that isn't impacted by the quality of your sleep. So everything from productivity, creativity, memory, performance, athletic performance we talked about, problem solving, uh, immune system, you know, all of these things are so profoundly impacted by the quality of our sleep. We all know we feel alert and better, but it's amazing how many other things are are controlled by this mysterious mechanism.
0: Well, and even, you mentioned the immune system. The irony is that despite the fact that we are now in America working a week more than we were working in the 1980s, we are actually losing 11 days of productivity Mm -hmm. a year. And one of the reasons is that because our immune system is suppressed, we have more sick days. We are more likely to even just get a cold and also, we are less engaged in our work. There was um, a global um, study by Gallup that shows that only 13, 13% of employees are fully engaged at work. Mm-hmm. So what's the point of kind of showing up sleep-deprived?
1: Well, it's that weird thing where you think, it's a, you think time works linearly. Like, well, if I get less sleep, then I go to work and I get more done. Yes. And it's, it's myopic because it doesn't account for how well and how smooth your work is going. Like when you sleep well, you just get more done in a shorter period of time. It's that same thing that applies to mindfulness and meditation practices. The time that you take out to do your meditation will be paid back you know, 10X in terms of your productivity and the uh, sort of efficiency with which you can kind of manage your day and keep stress reduced uh, to get things done more expeditiously.
0: And you mentioned stress, you know, the, the cortisol hormone, the stress hormone, again, is released when you are sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Sean Stevenson at your podcast said that a good night's sleep starts the minute you wake up. I was gonna up.
1: raise that, like, yeah, I was gonna use that as a sort of, it's a very interesting thing to make you more mindful of this throughout the day, not 10 minutes before you go yeah. to bed. You start, you, you're, you're sort of planning for your evening. And, you know, maybe that's a good place for you to launch into what you you know, how do you, uh, how do you maintain mindfulness over that throughout your day and, and what is your routine in terms of, you know, preparing for that optimal night of well, sleep? Well, for
0: me, it starts um, with how you wake up. That's why I don't like waking up with an alarm. And I definitely do not go to my phone first thing. Mm-hmm. Even if I take just one minute, To set my intention for the day remember what I'm grateful for. It sets kind of a different quality to my day Otherwise, it's as though I'm saying the most important thing happening in my world right now is what the world demands of me Mm -hmm. As opposed to what what I want to create this day, and I think the most creative people do not run their lives based on their inbox and um, if you are at the mercy of your inbox, you're going to be very transactional. If you're going to be creative-
1: But so many people are. Yes. It's so difficult and to pay break out of that. And you pay a price for that. Yes.
0: So you need times when you're not going to be on your phone during the day, times when you can um, work on the things that really matter and little breaks for recharging throughout the day. I mean, I like to start my day with meditation and my workout, even if it's a 30-minute workout. Um, and uh, and then I, I like during the day to, to sort of stay connected with my body and how am I feeling, rather than operate completely from my head
2: mm-hmm.
0: and allow the stress to become cumulative because that becomes the obstacle to sleep. We are all going to be dealing with stress. You know, nobody lives a life which is stress-free. The question is, how quickly do we course-correct? And how much do we allow that stress to build
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, until it becomes...
1: Well, Well, things that happen to you throughout the day are completely neutral, right? It's your reaction to them that creates the anxiety or the stress. And it's the meditation and the mindfulness and how much sleep you get and how... You know, exercise and nutrition, and all of these things that that determine your reaction to things that occur to you, uh, that drive that you know sort of anxiety, stress reaction, or lack thereof.
0: Well, actually, that's what I find um, fascinating. That I I have observed myself, and my reaction to what happens during the day is completely determined by how much sleep I got.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: When I'm sleep deprived, I become like a person I really do not like.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> you know,
0: I become reactive, I'm more emotional, I take things more personally, I'm not as clear about how to resolve a problem, and, and, and also, I'm not as joyful. And I feel like I'm dragging myself through my day, sort of getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. And God, is it really worth it?
1: <laughs> I think a lot of people would... Their reaction to these ideas would be, Well, that's all fine and well, but like you don't understand my life and I'm so busy and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. But <laughs> I'm hard pressed to imagine there's anybody busier than you. Like, how do you navigate all the things that you have to do on a daily basis? Do you segment them? Like, how do you sort of construct your professional life so that you remain balanced and even keeled?
0: Well, for me, um the first thing is to acknowledge that this whole conversation we're having is for people who want to be in the arena. You know, we're not talking about people who want to check out and go sit under a mango tree. I mean, there are a lot of friends of mine who want to do that and I admire it, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm mm-hmm. talking of, about how can you stay in the arena and maximize your effectiveness while also staying connected with the fact that we are more than our successes and our failures and that we are more than the comings and goings of our daily life so for me that's the ideal for me for my Dharma you know mm-hmm. for my mission this life and uh, and so I everything I'm saying in the book is related to that I mean if you Follow me on Instagram or Facebook. You will know that I haven't exactly, quote unquote, slowed down. But I have prioritized recovery, uh, ruthlessly prioritized recovery, which means that I'm on a book tour. If I have an early start, I'm not going to go out to dinner with friends. You know, decisions like that Mm -hmm. now have become automatic because the idea of waking up early in the morning to go through a day and not really be present. I mean, I'm enjoying the fact that we're having a conversation. I can be fully present instead of saying, oh, I have to check this uh, off my list, which Mm -hmm. is a terrible way to live. So, um, and that brings us really to the mystery of sleep because we haven't talked about that. And I think this is kind of ironically, uh, for me, one of the most important chapters in the book about dreams which have been such an essential part of humanity and of every religion. Mm-hmm. And I feel that when we don't remember our dreams, we're kind of missing out. And when we're sleep deprived, we don't remember our
2: mm-hmm. dreams. Mm-hmm.
0: And now that I remember my dreams, uh, it's a little bit like, hey, what's um, in the movies tonight? <laughs> so
1: you do, do you remember your dreams on a daily basis now?
0: Yes, I don't always remember them vividly. huh. Um, But I remember them and I write them down. I have a little notebook that I travel with and I have a pen which has a flashlight so I can write in my dream book without putting on the light which helps you remember more details and um, And I kind of love it. You know, it's not that every dream is important or meaningful or full of insights but it's more like connecting me with another part of myself And it also uh, puts the the challenges and the obstacles of our daily lives in perspective.
1: Mm -hmm. What does the science say about dreams and the importance of dreams and, you know, from whence they come and how they impact our lives?
0: Well, the science is kind of amazing. And for me, one of the most amazing things is that scientists have often come up with their most dramatic inventions uh, through dreams. Like things are resolved in dreams Uh and they lead to incredible discoveries. And he's not a a scientist in the theoretical sense, but Larry Page speaks about how he came up with the idea of Google. Right. (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's an
1: apocryphal story.
0: No, it's not actually. He said it.
1: But I mean, apoc- I, I guess maybe I'm misdefining apocryphal, I meant like that's a story that is kind of everybody knows. You yeah. Know, f- a very famous um,
0: story. Because I think it surprises people mm-hmm. that somebody who is so data-driven... <laughs> uh, right.
1: But anecdotally, we all know for ourselves and people that we know, like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I dreamed this song that I wrote or, yeah. you know, I came up in a dream. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and but it happened to all of us in some way or another. And even if it is in, in less dramatic ways than Google or Let It Be, mm-hmm. even if it is just that we go to bed with a problem and, and it somehow seems untangled during the night, which I think has happened to all of us.
1: Right. I think that's the difference between holding on and letting go. And you have this sort of uh, beautiful quote by Ray Bradbury in the book, which is, that we should all be uh, learning to let go before we learn to get right. I love and, that, and it's beautiful, right? The idea of letting go is so difficult for us uh, in this in this era. Like, I, I think a lot of people don't even understand what that means, or they uh, they equate it to some form of surrender or weakness. So, you know, what does letting go mean to you, and how does that apply to sleep?
0: How uh, oh, it's so central to sleep and. Um, A phrase that I use is, life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. And it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think we have the illusion that we make everything happen in our lives. And yet, if we look back, if I look back on my life, some of the best things that happened, I didn't make happen. Mm -hmm. And some of the worst things that happened, I made happen. So, I think the Ray Bradbury thing of letting go and um, for me means connecting with something deeper in ourselves, and that's really the key. It's like recognizing that however magnificent our job may be, there is something in us that's more magnificent, mm-hmm. and if we don't get in touch with that, we're missing out.
1: Yeah, it's a leap of faith and it's uh, it's a development of trust, right? Yes. To let go and to, to know that if you create that open space, that's an open door for something perhaps more beautiful or more powerful to come in. I know like you, you know, when I'm driving the train, I, I'll drive it right off the tracks most of the time, right? I have to stop <laughs> and just sometimes allow, you know, to surrender. And that's directed my life in beautiful ways when when I'm able to get into that space. But you know that's a it's a it's a practice like anything else. It's a discipline.
0: I know, and and you know you I know, you know you and you've written about your experience with drugs, and I've written about my daughter's experience mm-hmm. uh, with drugs in her last year in college, and I, she's now been sober for four years, and sleep has been incredibly important in her recovery. Because when she's sleep deprived, she gets more anxious. And so I also see in her journey, you know, the connection between self care and prioritizing what's good for you and how that affects mm-hmm. every, every other aspect. Of yeah, life. well,
1: and surrender is such a big part of, of addiction recovery yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so, I wanted to kind of get into a little bit of the different phases of sleep. You know, one of the questions that, you know, I put it out on Twitter the other day, you know, what do you want, what do you want to know about sleep from Ariana? And one of the questions that I thought was interesting that came up was from somebody who wanted to know about um, uh, the difference between like the phases of sleep, like people that sleep two to three hours and then wake up and then sleep two to three hours, you know, separating out their sleep. Is there any? evidence that this is a good idea or is this just a bad idea?
0: Well, it depends on on what happens naturally as opposed to what happens as a stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, segmented sleep um, was very much the more uh, universal way of sleeping uh, before the invention of the light bulb. Mm-hmm. People would go to sleep. Um, when when it got dark and then they would wake up sometime during the night and it happens to a lot of people It happens to me often that I wake up in the middle of the night. The question is what do we do when we wake up? Historically when people woke up, they never went about their daily tasks there were even like special prayer books Uh, Entitled, you know for when waking up in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. They were supposed to just have more intimate conversations if they were sleeping with somebody and More connected to the spiritual side of life Uh, So it's kind of interesting for me if I wake up now in the middle of the night. I don't stress about it I just prop up myself with lots of pillows and meditate Mm -hmm. and inevitably I fall asleep at some point point. So the key is not to stress about it. In fact, there's an experiment I write about in the book uh, that they had a control group um, that woke up and stressed about waking up. And then they had a group to whom they said that your goal is to stay awake. (laughs) Uh And they fell asleep. Uh Because they didn't stress about being awake.
1: Right, right. They're not getting all up in their head and anxious about how they fall asleep. Yeah, so they
0: naturally, they were still tired, they fell asleep. So that's the most important thing. If you wake up, you walk up. Don't turn on the TV. Don't go (laughs) to your phone. Uh, If you want to read, read something that has nothing to do with work or politics. Uh, you know read I mean what I do is I have books on my nightstand that are about poetry and philosophy and Novels, I don't even read modern novels. I read mm-hmm. like Trollope or Jane <laughs> Austen, or like connecting me with mm-hmm. Bygone worlds, <laughs>
1: right? Um, if you had discovered these Truths about sleep, you know 20 years ago. How do you think that would have impacted your career?
0: Oh I think that there's nothing I have done that I couldn't have done, <laughs> and done it even better, and done it with less damage to my health or my relationships, or um, my, my joy and my sense of gratitude about my life, absolutely, I mean, when I look back, um, there's no question that falling into this delusion this collective delusion that um, burnout and sleep deprivation are essential for success right. was nothing but damaging. Right.
1: And beyond the kind of uh, easy, simple uh, sleep hacks that we've kind of already talked about, like removing the devices from your bedroom and the eye mask and uh, you know, taking a the bath. Temperature, pajamas, the temperature. is huge. Key. Here's the thing, <laughs> here's what's going <laughs> on in my house, Ariana. My wife, uh, bless her, she likes the room a little bit warm and I run hot, like I, I need the room to be cold. What and, do
0: you need? What's your optimal? Oh,
1: like 60. Like I like it cold.
0: Yeah, and what And does I she... sleep
1: so much better when and it's cold. And what does she
0: like it at? She
1: likes it at, you know, closer to 70.
0: Wow. I know,
1: I don't get it, I don't understand <laughs> it. Um, but this has created a thing and it's like I love my, we've been together forever, We're, we have a, an amazing relationship. But I, we have a flat roof on our house and I went and got a tent and I put a mattress in it and I've been sleeping out on a, in a tent on our roof And like, do you like since it? February and my sleep has improved tenfold. Like it's so much better and I'm so much more present and you know, all of the things that we've talked about have been improved in my life. And so it's separating out this kind of colloquial traditional sense of, you know, a couple uh, married or not, like sharing a bed and understanding that, you know, the sleep aspect of our relationship has to be, you know, in, in our case, handled a little bit differently. And this has improved our relationship, in fact. But it, is, it was a little bit of a mental, emotional thing to go like, you know, I wanna sleep with my wife. You know, we're married and what is that, what, is, what kind of um, signal does that send to my children? And, you know, I don't want any kind of disruption with that. But like, my sleep is so much better.
0: Well, I'm so happy you're talking about that. I I hope you can write about it. We'd love to Mm -hmm. post on the Huffington Post because I have a whole section about how important it is for couples to optimize what makes them sleep better and how that, in fact, improves their relationship Mm -hmm. rather than fall into this conventional assumption that you always have to sleep with each other. You know, sleeping apart doesn't mean you don't have sex. It doesn't mean you don't love each other. It just means that you want to wake up fully recharged and be fully present for each other. And there's nothing that damages a relationship faster than Mm -hmm. two sleep-deprived people.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it has improved our relationship because, you know, when the room's too warm and I'm not sleeping well or I'm just barely asleep and she rolls over and bumps me and then I'm awake and then I start to resent her and then it has this trickle-down effect that is detrimental to our relationship. So Absolutely. This is I'm so ongoing, glad you're raising that. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing, but it's tricky, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have this fear of what's, what is the public, per, like if I talk about this, then is the public going to presume that I'm having a, an issue in my marriage, which I'm not, right? So but not if
0: you explain it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, it's like I think it's almost like we're giving permission
1: uh-huh.
0: to each other to talk about these things. And also, uh, I want actually to to do a, a big story on the Huffington Post. Now that you told me that, I'm going to ask for it, um, that traces why in Europe most couples did not sleep with each other. In fact, the, the royal couples, their aristocracy, oh, they had their
1: own, yeah, they had their yes. own wings of the castle. And then it's right? kind
0: of you really keep the romance going too. Mm-hmm. You know, you come together, you have sex, you go, you recharge yourselves, you come together. So I think doing the history of that. And, and how un, unnatural now is the expectation that you always need to sleep together. I mean, there are couples who, when the minute you start talking to them about it, start saying, oh my God, my husband snores so much I can't sleep. Whatever the issue is, whether it's temperature, snoring, uh, you wake up at different times uh, of the morning and you wake each other up Let's address it. Let's have a frank conversation about it.
1: Let's put it all out. So I know that uh, we're running out of time, and you have to uh, take the stage. (laughs) I appreciate that. But maybe we can wrap it up. I have two things I want to ask you if I can indulge you quickly. And the the first one is, for people that are listening that are struggling with sleep uh, beyond getting your book, Maybe just some simple, uh, you know, less obvious kind of tips that they could take away, t- that they could implement immediately to improve their sleep quality.
0: I really think that the first most obvious thing is the transition to sleep mm-hmm. and deciding what that is for them. And I think the combination of removing devices and having a hot bath or a hot shower that kind of trans- uh, like uh, ritualistically almost washes the day away is the first, easiest hack.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. And one final thing. <laughs> We've sat here for almost an hour and I haven't asked a single question about the Huffington Post or <laughs> your, your career outside of sleep. There's so many things. I hope that you will come back and talk to me some more at length, but I, I am interested in, in where you think uh, uh, online publishing is going in this era of now everybody becoming their own content creator. Um, You know, how does that, how do you sort of, you know, future trip on where things are headed in terms of the Huffington Post and and beyond?
0: So I really believe that for all online publishers, it's becoming more and more important to be differentiated and not to to produce commodity journalism. Mm -hmm. And for us at the Huffington Post, the priorities beyond news and politics are focusing on solutions and what is working and focusing on wellness. And these are sort of our differentiators, and we're doubling down on these, and, and the response has been amazing. Right.
1: Fantastic. Well, in preparation for today, on my drive over here this morning, I called our mutual friend, Kathy Freston. Oh, I and love I said, Kathy. <laughs> she's the best, right? <laughs> yes. Like, tell me about Ariana. What can I ask her about <laughs> And the one thing that she said is, you know what? Ariana really walks her talk. Like, this isn't just a book about something that she suddenly got interested in. She lives this every single day and she told this beautiful story uh, uh, about years ago, a recollection that she had when you were running for governor and I guess you were staying with her at the time. Yes. And you guys shared a cab and you actually took a nap in the cab. So, you (laughs) were really doing this and I I applaud your um, kind of broad step into wellness and the advocacy that you're doing. This um, is a fantastic book that I think is going to help a lot of people. And more importantly, the movement uh, beyond the book. Uh, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you so today.
0: much for giving me the time. Yeah. I loved our conversation. I appreciate thank it. You. Me too.
1: So everybody pick up The Sleep Revolution. And if uh, you want to connect with Ariana, uh, you can find her on the internet at uh, Twitter, probably. Twitter, Instagram,
0: Facebook.
1: Ariana Huffington everywhere. She's pretty easy to find. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Peace. Plans. All right, we did it. That's the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I found her delightful. You know, there is that thing, you know, I just wish. I had a little more time to get into her life a little bit more, but hopefully I'll have another chance to sit down with her uh, at some point in the near future. Don't forget to check out the show notes uh, on the episode page at richroll.com. I've got tons of links articles about Ariana, uh, a wonderful blog post that I've written, all kinds of good stuff. So please make a point of checking that out to take your edification, your infotainment uh, beyond the earbuds. Uh, I want to thank Jason Camiolo, who came on board recently as a new producer and audio engineer for the podcast. He's done a great job. I appreciate that. So you can give him a shout out on Twitter. He's at jason camiolo c-a-m-i-o-l-o uh thanks to sean patterson for help on graphics chris swan for production assistance theme music done by analemma so thanks for all the support you guys i really appreciate it final thoughts what are you doing to ensure the best possible night of sleep uh and maybe there's one thing that you can change this week to improve your sleep quality Maybe it's turning off the TV or the laptop or the tablet in the bed. Maybe it's making sure that you have a nice cup of tea or a bath before you go to sleep. Some kind of ritual. What is it that you can switch up and improve? I don't know. Only you guys know what, uh, what that might be in your own personal case. But my kind of assignment for you guys is to find one thing and switch it up, see how it goes, and then let me know about it on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. All right? And I'll see you guys again soon. Probably next week, right? Yeah, I think probably next week. All right. Peace.